Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Deliver us from evil. He taught us to pray. And and here he says, the evil one, and that's important because he knows that, that the flesh is weak, spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So he's saying, keep them from the tempter, from the liar, from the accuser of the brethren, from the hater, from the destroyer. today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus's High Priestly Prayer. John chapter 17 is wholly focused on Jesus praying. And today we start up in verse 15, where he is in the middle of praying for his disciples. So let's listen in. It was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And we're told and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. In fact, let me read you the context of that. It's Hebrews 12, first couple verses say this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That whole picture of laying aside every weight so we can run our race. Jacob, last week, I watched both services. Don't always do that when I'm not here. He did so good. And and those illustrations really hit home for me because I know you couldn't know it looking at me, but when I was young, I also used to run. I ran track a little, but I ran streets a lot. I I went to high school in Chicago, lived on the south side of the city, where there were two kinds of people. There were the quick and the dead. And so when I went to the movies, and this is absolutely true, I would run home from them. When I was on my way to school, I would run to school. When I was coming home, I would run home. Why? Because the less time you're on the street, the more chance you make it home safely. And sadly, though that sounds funny, it's still true today there in Chicago. It's still one of the most dangerous cities in the world to live in. In the three years I spent there, I actually, you know how people say, I think hell's right here. I wasn't a Christian yet. I knew that wasn't the case. I knew there's a literal heaven and hell. I I knew a lot about the Bible. I just didn't know the Lord as my Lord and Savior. And so I, I used to say, you know, I think they're right. Hell is right here. It's right here in the south side of Chicago. And then I moved to Newport Beach where I met Pam and And listen, that was 40 years ago, by the way, 1970, so crazy. But uh, where I met and married my wife, and and, uh, I literally used to say, I think this is heaven. I I knew it wasn't, but compared to Chicago, it felt like it. It was such a stark difference. It was truly darkness and light. It was truly death and life. It was hopelessness and hope. And God used that to kind of say, you know, as as much as this is better than that, you can't even begin to imagine what really awaits you, what heaven will really be like for you. 
Well, he says we need to put aside and lay off and take off everything that, that hinders us and then run the race that he set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We endure what we endure, not because, well, we deserve it and we messed up so much, we kind of feel better if we suffer a little. I don't feel better when I suffer. I hate suffering. <laughs> I feel better when I realize I have a, a, a Lord and, and master who suffered for me. He didn't promise I wouldn't suffer. He, he set the course and he said, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And, and first Peter says, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust themselves to him as unto a faithful creator and faithful savior. Well, verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Deliver us from evil, he taught us to pray. And, and, and here he says, the evil one, and that's important because he knows that, that the flesh is weak, spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So he's saying, keep them from the tempter, from the liar, from the accuser of the brethren, from the hater, from the destroyer, the one who tempted even succeeded, who tried to tempt Jesus and failed miserably. Well, he's still at work in this world. Well, he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I like that phrase, not of the world. It's a great picture for us. Why? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven, in Christ Jesus. Our rewards, our inheritance in heaven, in him. Does that mean there aren't blessings now? Of course there are. We're experiencing them. But do you know today, every person breathing on planet Earth is being blessed by the Lord. He's that good. His sun shines on the wicked and the just. His rain falls on the wicked and the just. But there are special blessings reserved for those who walk in obedience to him. And we get to experience them but they are just the tip of the iceberg, if you will. The greater blessings await us in heaven. And the greatest blessing awaiting us in heaven is Jesus himself. He is our inheritance. He is our everything. And once we're with him, either through death and resurrection or rapture, we will forever be with him. That's the testimony of scripture. We will never be separated from him. We will always be with him. So they're not of the world and nor are we. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If there's anything we could take to, well, this generation, it's that there is absolute truth and that absolute truth is found here in the word of God. Because today, well, men are redefining everything the Bible has to say and they're rejecting God's clear commands to, to repent. And unless there's repentance, there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no life. 
So people are dead in their trespasses and sin, and they're trying to, to somehow alter the scripture to make their sin acceptable to him. That will never work from his perspective, and it shouldn't even work here on planet Earth in the minds of men. To reject his call to repent of sin is to leave one dead in trespasses and sin. To call yourself a Christian and to live after the flesh and to deny what the word teaches leads to condemnation and everlasting destruction. And today, so many, and it's heartbreaking to see it, are embracing the lie. Listen, Satan's greatest lie to Eve is that she could be like God, that she could set her own course, that she could do her own thing, that she could find fulfillment apart from knowing the will of God and the God of his word. And, and, and listen, it was all a lie. He said, you're going you're gonna to be like God, knowing good and evil. He made it sound like such a great thing. Do you know he never wanted her to know evil, not experientially, just wanted her to know there's, well, listen, there's death on the other side of disobedience. And, and so, so she buys the lie. And, and the moment she sinned and gave Adam and he sinned with her, they were separated from God and they knew it. They were naked and all of a sudden they knew it. They were ashamed. They hid from God. They began to blame one another or others for what had taken place. And we want to make sure that that's not happening to us and we need to pass on to others. The most loving thing we can do as Christians is to speak the truth in love to this generation that, well, they're oblivious to it or denies that such a thing even exists. Remember when people started saying, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. Like these two opposing concepts totally contradicting one another, could both be true at the same time. They can't. And the bottom line is we have God's truth. That's the only real truth. Everything else is a fabrication. Everything else is a substitution. Everything else comes from the darkness and masquerades as the light. Well, anyway, truth is the only thing that can free one from sin. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, as you sent me, he says, into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is important. Because the word sanctify can only mean two things. Well, it does mean two things. It means to set apart or, and it means to cleanse. In our case, both are reality. He set us apart before the foundation of the world when he called us. But he also cleansed us. And that happened when we gave our life to the one who died for our sins, chosen by the father, redeemed by the son, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So the Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit secures and seals, puts his stamp upon us, takes up residence within us. So, so sanctified in Jesus' case means set apart. 
because he never needed cleansing. He never sinned. In our case, it means set apart and cleansed. And the word of God is the agent that does both. Set apart through the word because the truth sets us apart from the lie. The light brings us out of the darkness. Life and death, they have nothing in common. They are mutually exclusive experiences. Well, he concludes, our Lord, that is, with a series of petitions for all who believe through them. So he prays for the Father to be glorified. Then he prays for those first disciples through whom he would change the world. Not just that generation, still changing the world in our generation. Because this, this word, much of it comes from them. Empowered and anointed and directed by the Holy Spirit. But men like us wrote these things as the Spirit moved upon them. Recorded these things for our learning and admonition. Well, we've never met or heard from or been discipled by them. But we have their words, as I shared, and their example. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, I just want to say, if there's any doubt in your mind, if you have believed in him, not just believed stuff about him, but entered into a relationship with him, Well, you want to make sure you deal with that issue today. Give your life to the one who gave his life for you, who gave you life in the first place, who holds your very breath in his hand today. So verse 21, that they may all, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. To what end? that the world may believe that you sent me. Holy, honest, like-minded, other-centered, everything you see in Jesus and admire about him, he is transforming you into someone who thinks like him, who speaks like him, who feels like him. We should never have to have a little bracelet or whatever that thing was. I didn't have one, but people had them. And they said, what would Jesus do? You don't even need to ask that question if you're walking in fellowship with him. If you're abiding in him, you're going to do what he would do and what he's actually called and equipped and empowering you to do. A new commandment I give you in John 13, 24, Jesus said that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another, that the world may believe, he says here, that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. The word perfect there, important to us today. It means complete. It means, well, mature, fully fashioned and formed and fit for the master's use. It doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. That doesn't happen till we stand before him in heaven. But to be perfect today, well, it means that that as he's the potter and we're the clay, we let him form us 
as he pleases and use us as he desires. Do you know that, that, well, if you have a cup and you have a saucer and you want a cup of coffee, the cup works so much better for holding the coffee and drinking it than the saucer. It doesn't mean a cup's better than a saucer. It just means it's perfect for drinking coffee from. And so it is with us. We're all different because he's fashioned and formed us and made us the people he wants us to be and is in the process of doing that even today. But he's saying, here's the path to maturity, to perfection, to completeness, that we're in him and he's making us like him. And then he says, and that the world may know, latter part of verse 23, that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. That is amazing. It's not amazing that the father loves the son. It's amazing that the father loves these sons and daughters, right? That he loves us and he loves us the way he loves the son. That the world may experience the word gnosko. It's an experiential, intimate knowledge that Jesus comes from the father and loves us as he is loved. Father, I desire, he says, verse 24, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. I love this petition and here's why. We've learned if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we'll have the petition we're making of him. And we know this for certain. Jesus never prayed anything that was not within the will of God. One time he prays something that almost seems like he's like, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. That's not him passing on the cup. He's just saying, if there's any other way. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus' prayers are always answered in the affirmative. That means we will be with him. We will see the glory he had with the Father before the world began. I pray that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. Well, we see him today in the scriptures someday will be at the very throne of God and we will look in his eyes and we'll fall on our faces and cast our crowns at his feet. John, who writes the Gospel of John, also writes the book of Revelation. He has experiences in Revelation that he recorded for us. In Revelation 1.12, he's there at the throne of God and, and, and he hears a voice speaking with him and he says he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands in the midst, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like white, were uh, white like wool, as white as snow. I love that. It's one thing I absolutely have in common with Jesus. And, and, and it's, this is all real, you know, I'm not bleaching it to look older and more mature. But listen, the next thing he says is his eyes like a flame of fire. And, and, and he goes on to describe him. He says he fell at his feet as dead. And, and then he says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. 
In Revelation 5, 5, they're there in the midst of, of um, uh, this glorious scroll. And, and it has multiple seals and no one was found worthy in heaven and on earth to open the seals. It's been called the title deed to the earth. Each seal as it is on, or each, yeah, each seal as it is broken opens a part of the scroll and then the scroll opens further and further and further. And, and, and listen, it says that, that John began to weep because no one was able to, to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He looked for the lion of the tribe of Judah and saw a lamb as though it had been slain. John had been raptured up to the very throne room of God where he heard and saw and recorded these things for us. Well, that they may behold my glory. That's what happened to John and that's what's going to happen to us. For you loved me, verse 24, last part. You loved me before the foundation of the world. He proved his love because the Father so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world that we'd be holy and blameless before him in love. Chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. He concludes, and we will as well. Oh, righteous Father, verse 25, the world has not known you. It's that same word, gnosko. It speaks of experiential knowledge. They haven't experienced you at all. But I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, your nature, your character, revealed it to all. They see your mercy. They see your justice. They see your kindness. They see your faithfulness in me and will declare it that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Ephesians reminds us chosen redeemed and sealed. First Peter says we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and spot foreordained before the foundation of the world manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So your faith and hope are in God. Chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Take a moment to wrap your head around that. 
This is saying that not only before you were born, not only before our parents were born, but before history even began, God was aware of us and that we would be born into this world. And he also knew that we would need redemption long before redemption was even required. Now that's a lot of time passed. And while it is amazing that you and I were chosen way back then to be redeemed, to be holy and blameless, what is maybe even more amazing is that with the passage of time, nothing has changed, not even a little. Even after we came onto the scene and perhaps did and said things that would make most people change their minds about us, God's mind is set and your and my futures are set. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.